0: Father, we, uh, we're so excited here to be here. To um, A lot of work's gone into this, as you know, Lord, all the volunteers and, and the people that have been involved in making this happen, and Lord, behind it all is you. You have ordained that we'd be here. You have ordained that we would do this work, and we pray, Lord, that you give us the boldness that's appropriate to that. And Lord, we just thank you for each person that's here, Lord. We know that your hand is sovereign in who's come here, even this morning, that nobody's here by accident. But they're here by your sovereign decree and direction. And uh, we thank you for that. And we just pray, Lord, that you would speak to your people. Um, Lord, just like Moses prayed, we pray that you would show us your glory this morning. That you would show us yourself in the face of your Son. And that we'd be changed. Lord, that's what we need. We don't need to hear the words of a man or the ideas of a man. We need to hear from you. And we pray that you would do that. Your children are ready to hear from you. And we desire to be with you. And we pray for those here, Lord, that don't yet know you. We just pray that we would be a place that would help everyone take their next step towards your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, thank you guys for coming. Uh, If you guys don't know me, I'm Eric Cobb. I'm uh, the campus pastor here. We're um, one church and two campuses, so there's another campus in French Valley. And Sabo's preaching there right now. We're actually going to have our series coincide. So next week we'll start the Gospel of John. He'll be starting at the same time, and hopefully we'll have a podcast, both messages going in. So it'll be really kind of a fun thing to do. Um, we, um, we're thankful you're here as I was praying. We're so excited that you'd be here. Um, we value your time. We value the fact that you would come out early in the morning to, to seek the Lord. A lot of people aren't doing that. And just the fact that you're here is an evidence of God's grace in your life. And, and we're so thankful to see it. Um, we're going to be like she read in second Corinthians, um, three, 12 through four, six, If you aren't already there, go ahead and turn there. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking about the story of a German scientist named Wilhelm, which is a good German name, Wilhelm uh, Rentchen. Wilhelm Rentchen was uh, a German scientist in the late 1800s. And he was in his lab, and he was doing very stereotypic German scientist things. He had this glass tube, and he was passing electrons through this glass tube in the late 1800s. And he had this kind of chemically treated screen next to him, and he noticed that there must be some rays coming out of this thing because the screen was glowing. And so, being a scientist that he is, he starts kind of wrapping the tube in different things to see what does he have to do to make the rays stop coming through. And he put cardboard and that into it, and he put other things and that into it. And he discovered that really it was only really hard hard substances that would stop these rays, these invisible rays, from hitting the screen and making an image. And so he did what any German scientist does. He shot the rays through his wife's hand onto the screen, which is weird. It's like, hey, I discovered this thing, these rays, maybe, not sure if they're safe or whatever, bring me your hand. So she puts her hand on the screen, and um, what is revealed on the screen is just her bones and her wedding ring. It freaked her out to see her own bones. She goes, oh my gosh, I've seen my own death. You know, she wasn't real thrilled. But he had accidentally produced the first x-ray. Isn't that cool? It accidentally produced the first X-ray. And they immediately knew what to do with it. Immediately, it was being used in hospitals. Um, within six months, it was used on the battlefield to find bullets and soldiers. Before, you had to just kind of dig around. Um, but with the X-ray, you actually knew where they were, and you could actually pull them out. A um, little bit later than that, they started using it um, to shrink tumors. They would actually use X-ray radiation on to shrink down tumors in the treatment of cancer. And then, human beings that we are... The goofy uses started, okay? Um, Whenever human beings find a new technology, we think it's entertainment or something. And so uh, they developed a thing called a fluoroscope, which you guys are familiar with x-rays where it's just an image, and it's burned, and the image is done. There's a fluoroscope, which is a screen, and you can stick your hand in, and you can see your bones moving. You see this in cartoons a lot, right? Well, what started happening is they were using fluoroscopes as sideshow entertainment, okay? So you'd have these booths, And the booth operator would stick his hands in there and do this trick, and they were like, oh, cool. And they're like, you know, if you pay some money, you can put your hands or whatever you want in here and see it on the screen. And um, obviously, not safe to do. Um, There was also marketing that high doses of x-rays could remove unwanted hair, maybe, that you had on your face or wherever. Um, So they would do that. Um, Some of you guys might remember that until the 1960s, when you went in a shoe store, you could stick your feet in the fluoroscope because, you know, we could just measure your feet... Or we can measure the bones in your feet, and maybe that will give you a better shoe size. So there was this cool thing where it's like, you know, if they didn't have a fluoroscope, I'm not going, you know? And and so they banned that in the 60s um, here and in the 70s in the UK. And they banned it because they found out what we already know, which is that prolonged exposure to X-ray radiation transforms you, okay? It transforms you at the level of your DNA, and the transformation is not a good thing. Um, Some of these people were getting x-rays of x-ray times of 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, instead of the milliseconds that we use now. And what started happening is people were starting to develop burns later, sort of hair loss, blistering the skin. You know those booth operators? Lost their fingers? Fingers started to fall off and things like that. This is a beautiful sermon illustration, isn't it? (laughs) And the reason I thought about this is these, these unseen, unfelt, undetected rays were having unexpected side effects. And that actually happened in this passage. In this passage that we're in, in 2 Corinthians 3, um, Moses actually had unexpected side effects from the glory of God. Uh, The story, he mentions it in in verse 12 and 13. It says, Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Um, Paul here is talking and making reference to something that happened with Moses. So, Paul lived about two thousand years ago. Moses lived many thousand years before that. And even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with Moses and the Ten Commandments, right? Um, there's all kinds of comic strips and stuff like that. That this is what one of the things that happened during that time. He went up to get the Ten Commandments, but he also would go up and hang out with God. It's an awesome opportunity, really. You know, God is on the mountain; he could meet with him. He said, "Show me your glory." He's like, "Well, you can't see my full glory, but it says that they talk to each other like friends would talk." Isn't that awesome? You guys had good, quiet times? had some good times in the Word? You never had that time, did you? No. never had that time. And there was a side effect from that. Next to 34, we find out that when he came down, his face was glowing. Not like, oh, you've got such a glow. No. Like a literal glow. He was shining. It says the skin of his face was shining because he'd been talking with God. Um, I'm a horse veterinarian. And uh, last Thursday, I was on call. And um, I got an emergency call at like 7.30, which can be a bummer. It's especially a bummer if the emergency call is in Warner Springs. So this is like a one-hour drive there, an hour there, an hour back. So this is like all night, right? And so when I get out there, it's pitch dark, right? And so what I do is I put on my headlamp. Now, some of you guys have actually ridiculed my headlamp. And, uh, and I know it doesn't look cool or whatever, but I got this headlamp, you know, and it allows me to see what's going on. Moses didn't have a headlamp, right? Moses is walking down from the mountain, and his head is a lamp, Okay? <laughs> He actually is a human light bulb as he comes down, which would be super convenient when you're hiking, you know, like, you know, just kind of walk around, you know, going. everything. But the people were not stoked, okay? He comes down and they freaked out. It says that in Exodus 34, the people were afraid to come near him. And so they told Moses, they go, dude, you're freaking us out, you're scaring the children. Put a covering over your head. And so they put this covering over the head, which was kind of sad because this is like part of the glow of the glory of God. And they're like, we don't want to see it, you know, cover that up. And so he covered it up, and so he would walk around with this veil on his head when he was around the people, and then he'd go up to the mountain, he'd take the veil off so he could see what God would show him of his glory. Moses had been pro- transformed by prolonged exposure to the glory of God. The prolonged exposure to the glory of God had transformed him. And Paul brings this up in this passage to demonstrate that we will be transformed by prolonged exposure to the glory of Jesus, just like Moses was, except not physically. Okay. And so the reason why I wanted to start in this passage is next week we're going to start John. French Valley and our campus are going to go through John together. And it's an epic journey, right? John is a big book. We'll be there several, several months. It'll take a long time. It's going to be great. But what I wanted to do before we did that is we're going to have prolonged exposure to Jesus, right, as we go through John. And I want to just look at from this passage, what side effects can we expect? What are the side effects of prolonged exposure to Jesus? And side effect number one is It will cure your blindness. Take a look at verse uh, 14 and 15. It says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their heart. He's talking about the Old Covenant people of God, and he's talking about how even when they read the Old Testament now, they don't see Jesus in it. And and this can be taken by extension to us, is that, Um, People are blinded to the goodness of Jesus. We all start that way. We all start blinded to the beauty of Jesus, but prolonged exposure to him is the cure. Um, Guys, that's the real difference. That's the real difference if you're wondering if you're a person that follows Jesus or you're a person that doesn't follow Jesus. The real difference between those groups of people is is that people that follow Jesus have seen how good and glorious he is. So we see it, and we're like, it's a no-brainer. I will follow this man. I will follow the God-man. I will do whatever he says because I've seen his goodness. I've seen his glory. I've seen what he did on the cross. I've seen his resurrection. I've seen how he changed my life. And people that don't follow Jesus haven't seen that. It's a difference of how they see Jesus. And that's why people that follow Jesus and people that don't follow Jesus think each other are crazy, right? Don't they? You might be here and not a Christian. You're like, yes, you people are crazy, okay? And you are Christians here are like, What's wrong with them? You guys all have family members that you could just shake. Like, why won't you come to Jesus? What's your problem? You know, the problem is sight. The problem is sight. Because if we would see the glory of Jesus, it's a no-brainer, right? It's about sight. That's the difference. Um, Non-Christians see Jesus most of, most of the time as a historical figure, a good man. I mean, when we go on campus, we go every Thursday from 12, uh, 12 to 2 to MSJC campus here in Menifee. Talk to people about the gospel. It's awesome. The students are very friendly, and they want to engage, and they're interested. But they see him that way. They see him as an historical figure, a good man, somebody worth listening to, somebody you might quote, but that's it, okay? They see him on the level of Charles Dickens, or Aristotle, or Mother Teresa. Yes, quote him. Yes, he's a good man. We don't have any problems with Jesus. If you guys are in the 70s, Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Yeah, yeah. Who was that? Doobie, Doobie Brothers. Okay, there we go. That's for uh, Tony. Um, but uh, but uh, that's what he's considered. He's, he's a good man. He, I wouldn't disrespect him, but I'm going to kind of pick and choose what he says. He doesn't have authority over me. He doesn't have any authority over me anymore than Mother Teresa has authority over me. Right? Now, Christians, they view Jesus as God in the flesh worthy of 100% obedience. So what we do is we pore over this book looking for what he said about life and applying it. You don't do that with Aristotle. I've never met anybody with a copy of Aristotle's stuff and just was like, oh, I've got to find out what he said about food, you know? No, who cares? You have a neat quote on Facebook, I'll like it, but I'm not following him, right? That's the difference. And so that's the problem, guys, when we as Christians try and impose on non-Christians what Jesus says to do. We look crazy. We look crazy the same way I might be like a Mother Teresaite, and say, our nation needs to get back to following Mother Teresa. You know what she said about this? You know what she says about speeding? You know, things like that, right? It would look crazy. That's the difference. It's perception, right? We see who Jesus is. They don't see it. In verse 15, it says, a veil lies over their hearts. Drop down a little bit into chapter 4. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. He gets a little bit further into what the issue is with blindness. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It goes deeper, guys. It goes deeper than your education. It goes deeper than the culture and things like that. It says that the God of this world, who he's talking about as Satan, actively prevents people from seeing Jesus clearly works like this, we're all sinners, we all need Jesus, we all need to be forgiven, that's the last thing Satan wants, he's doomed anyway, he wants to take as many people as he can with him, so what he does, is he actively prevents people from seeing the goodness and the worth of Jesus, and um, so that we won't flock to him, because he knows that the moment that any of us see how good Jesus is, we're like, here's the keys to my life, take them, you're awesome, in the real sense of the word awesome, right, how does Satan do this, guys, how does Satan blind the minds of unbelievers? Any thoughts? This is like open. You can tell me. Anybody have a thought? Lies. Lies. Okay, he works through lies, right? Jesus says the truth. What else? Idols. Okay, he tries to show you, well, wouldn't you like this more? You know, I got this for you, right? He works through things in our culture. I mean, he certainly works through media, you know? I, I love media. I'm not against media. But have you ever noticed, guys, that on any issue that you know a lot about, when you watch the news on it, it's totally wrong. You guys ever notice that? Whether it's like police work or whether it's construction or art or whatever, you watch this show and you're like, well, kind of, like, you know, um, and maybe some of the time, you know, it's just, um, it's just an honest confusion about the subject. They can't be, uh, they can't be um, on it on everything, but they often get things about Jesus and his people wrong, right? That's something you guys know a lot about. Um, and some of it's on its confusion, some of it's agenda, you guys ever flip back and forth between Fox and MSNBC? I do on the elliptical because I don't want to watch the ads for a reverse mortgage and all that that's on there. And so I'll switch back and forth. And it's like they're in different universes. And you know what? Neither of them are in the actual universe. Okay? They're all in another form of reality, which they're making for themselves, that they kind of put forward for the people that want to eat that. Right? And so, and it's so true, guys, with Jesus is that the coverage of things of Jesus and his people is so crazy. And so this is one of the ways Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. He does it through education. Guys, I love education. I bought a lot of it, okay? Um, And I love education. I even taught over at MSJC. I'm not against it, right? But one thing you'll notice, especially on a community college uh, campus, is that professors like to use that as their mini pulpit. And a lot of times they make very confident assertions about Jesus and Christianity, which is clearly outside of their realm of expertise, okay? Okay? Over and over again. I mean, for you to listen to your geology professor tell you that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, I mean, I guess it's a geology issue because he was in a cave. But this is outside of his area of expertise, okay? Just because he's up front doesn't give him authority on that. You know, um, I love this quote from Malcolm X. Malcolm X said, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people doing the oppression. So watch out for the media, right? Right? It's so true with Jesus, right? Isn't he made out to be the enemy? Aren't his people made out to be the enemy? And so, um, education. Um, the church, I mean, we have a part to play in this, guys. Why is the world so confused about who Jesus is? A lot of times because we've been confused. Or we've been off track. Or we gave a confusing message. I mean, this is something that's our responsibility. And um, and so when we lose our focus and misrepresent him, we create that fog of confusion. And then, guys, you know... There's just a general fog of confusion in an unbeliever's mind about Jesus. So was, how many of you guys have gotten, uh, become believers in the last year? Maybe in the last year? Maybe in the last two years. Last two years, two years, two years. Okay. You guys can probably remember what you thought like before. It was confusing. You know, you know the character of Jesus. You know some of these things, but you're not really sure how he connects with your life. There's kind of this haze, this kind of confusion. That's what Satan does. He tries to blind the minds of unbelievers. Um, perhaps you're there right now. Perhaps you're a person that's tried various spiritualities. Maybe you tried Buddhism or all these different things. Maybe you've tried seeking pleasure as a way to kind of find fulfillment or numbing things with substances or maybe you just tried buying a bunch of stuff. I've tried that. Just buy a bunch of stuff and see if that kind of fills that hole. But you want more, and that's why you're here. You want more. You want real meaning, you want real joy. You want real purpose like not one you made up yourself because that's not really something to live on. You know that, right? Like if you made the purpose of life up yourself, it's pretty weak. And so you want, you want real purpose. You want real peace. You want real wholeness. You want real certainty. Um, but the way seems kind of foggy uh, moving forward. You guys, you're in the right place. And we are so happy you're here. And we want this actually to be a place where you would be um, loved, where you'd be served, where we would give you truth, and we would give you space. We actually want to give you space to actually um, investigate the claims of Jesus. And if you've got questions and stuff like that, hit us with them. I, so often people that are kind of seeking are a little timid. They're like, I don't want to offend you, but how does this play into whatever? You know, I'm not offended. Hit me with a question. I can take it, you know? So hit us. We want to answer your questions. Because prolonged spiritual blindness, guys, it's cured. Spiritual blindness is cured by prolonged exposure to Jesus. Take a look at verse 16. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. How do you get your spiritual blindness taken away? It's by prolonged exposure to Jesus. To go back to that radiation example, they actually have used radiation, like extra radiation, to go after tumors in the eye. You don't want to go digging around an eye, right? And so you could actually shoot a radiation beam into the eye to shrink down that tumor, to to get it to the point where you could treat it with something else. And, and, And prolonged exposure to Jesus works like that. Over time... His glory, as you're seeing it in the word, amongst his people, he will break down that blindness. And sooner, uh, over and over again, he'll, he'll break down the layers, and soon it'll become clear. And you'll see Jesus clearly. Ryan and I were in uh, Starbucks on Thursday, and it was really fun. We were there kind of talking about the book of Revelation and stuff, and, you know, we opened it, smoke came out. It was awesome. And, uh, and people were like, what are you doing over there, you know? And... Um, and this, this girl met up with Ryan in, in line, Karina. And it was a really cool conversation because she got saved four months ago. And she was super fired up. And uh, and she was telling us about how she had she had gone after all these different spiritualities and she thought she kind of knew the answers to everything and the Christians were stupid. She saw that on the news, you know. But then she was invited into a group of Christians, and those Christians loved her, they loved each other, and they were always talking about Jesus. She had all these objections, she was able to answer have her questions answered. And after time, her spiritual blindness went away. And she came to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of her sins. And she's super excited. We told her what we're doing here. And she was all fired up. She'll be busy and us at some point. But um, one of the things she said, which really plays into this, she goes, I'm amazed at how I thought four months ago. Like, I'll just think about the way I used to think. And I'm like, amazed I ever thought that. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat to hear from somebody that's fresh? I mean, she's seen the glory of Jesus. She's had her spiritual blindness obliterated by prolonged exposure to Jesus. She's seen clearly that she wants to give Jesus her whole life. And so guys, we have an opportunity here in this group to build something, to build a community that will expose people to the beauty of Jesus. And then we get the added benefit of watching people see Him for the first time, which is so fun. It's so fun to have somebody come among us, have all these questions, and then gradually they come to see. We get to watch that. You know? Side effect number one. Cures spiritual blindness. Side effect number two to prolonged exposure to Jesus is it'll make you more like Jesus. Take a look at verse 17. It says, now the, Spirit, now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Remember how Moses, he was shining, his skin was shining, it was a human light bulb, right? Remember how he was shining? Well, prolonged exposure to Jesus will make you look like Jesus. And you might say, but I'm a lady. Okay? We're not talking physically, right? We're talking the character. The character, the inner being of Jesus will start to be reflected in your own life. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. Paul here, he describes this transformed life. And you see what he calls it? He says it's freedom, right? Don't you just love the sound of this verse? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Isn't that the coolest verse? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He describes this transformation that Jesus does in our lives as freedom. You guys realize that sin isn't just a crime, it's slavery. You guys realize that? Sin is slavery. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Realize that? I mean, that's part of our message. Part of our message is not just that you need to be forgiven, but you're enslaved. You're enslaved to your own sin. Sin is not just something that we need to be forgiven from. It's something we need to be freed from. You just think about slavery. How many of you guys have experienced slavery to anger? Okay? If you raise your hands, we'll know to watch out for you. Okay, <laughs> Slavery to anger. How about slavery to bitterness? Boy, that's a tricky one. I don't even know why that's attractive, but it is. You like feeling like a victim. You like feeling like you're righteous. You know that beta bitterness comes and you're like, hmm. Mm. You know, it's like it's poisonous, right? How many of you guys, enslavement to gossip? You just feel like you just have to say something about that. You know, I wasn't going to say anything, but we well, don't, you know, like, stop there. Um, greed, right? Impatience. Parents, that brings that one out. Lust, judgmental attitude, that's something that has no place in Christianity. Um, sin is not just something we do, it's something we need to be freed from. I love this, what uh, the African-American civil rights leader, Harriet Tubman, right? So pre-Civil War, you guys know about the Underground Railroad? She escapes, and then she leads missions back into the South to rescue slaves out and bring them to the North. Okay, Harriet Tubman. I hope she's the one that goes on the $10 bill. I don't know if we've heard yet, but that would be awesome. <laughs> this is what she said. Listen to Harriet Tubman. I freed 1,000 slaves, and I could have freed 1,000 more if only they knew they were slaves. Yeah, Mm. exactly right. Yeah, I wonder what else she said. How does that apply? What a gift, guys, for God to actually reveal to you that you're enslaved, right? To reveal to you that you're enslaved, because sin, guys, is not just something that you need to be forgiven for, but something you need to be freed from. So how does freedom come? Look at verse 18. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How do we get set free? We get set free by beholding Jesus. This works totally different than you'd think. You'd think you just get like 10 steps, work really hard, you know, maybe get a bunch of accountability, and you'll do it. What does he say about change here? He says that we become more like Jesus as we behold him, as we look at him. By prolonged exposure to him, we are changed. And the cool thing is, how does this relate to freedom? Jesus was the freest man that ever walked the earth. Jesus was enslaved to nothing. And we can become like him, enslaved to no particular sin as we behold him. And notice in verse 18, it says we become like Jesus. We are transformed into the same image. Isn't that cool? By prolonged exposure to Jesus, you're transformed. Moses, it was a glow to him. For us, though, it's we are changed by his character. Going back to the x-ray example, x-rays change you on the inside. Okay? You get this radiation, it changes your DNA. Okay, It isn't just that it damages your skin or It's changing your DNA. Prolonged exposure to Jesus changes your spiritual DNA. You don't just work really hard to do things. You've been changed on the inside to what happens is a natural outflow of your inside. You're no longer fighting your inside all the time. He transforms the inside. It's good news. How does this work? Well, this passage says, basically, that as we see Jesus in this book, so we open this book, we declare and we read and we discuss and we look at who is in this book, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit gets really excited. He comes and makes Jesus stand forth in such a way that he radiates us and changes our character. He burns a change into our souls as we look upon him in this word. And he says that's what the Spirit does. This is from the Spirit. Um, but notice one thing, too, because you guys might be a little discouraged about what I said. Because I was telling you what the, the later down the road looks like. You might be saying, but I'm not there. Look at this, though. This transformation is incremental. Take a look at verse 18. They we're being transformed into the, same image, the image of Jesus. How? From one degree of glory to another. It's incremental. It's gradual. It happens over time. It's a process. And guys, this is so encouraging because I know for a lot of you guys, you don't see yourself as radically transformed by Jesus. You don't see your life. We do but you don't see it because it's incremental. It's gradual. Just like people exposed to x-rays, they don't feel anything changing. You're being changed. Um, It's gradual. It's a process. It's one degree of glory to another. I love this verse in Proverbs 4. Do you guys know Proverbs 4.18? It says this, the way of the righteous, or the way of the Christian, is like the first gleam of dawn and shines brighter, ever brighter, until full day. Isn't that cool? So he pictures the Christian life like this. It's like a gleam of dawn. How many of you guys were up for dawn? Great, OK, good. you guys rise early. Be in with the Lord before the dawn. Anyway, um, that's cool. Be with them whenever you want. you know? Um, but it's like a gleam, right? And it, well, at first the sky's just kind of lighter, and you don't see anything, and then you see the gleam and then it brightens up. And he's saying, that's the way it is with the transformation of believer. It's a gleam of dawn, and then it's ever brighter, one degree of glory to another. That's what's happening in your life. You might say, "Well, it's too slow. I'm like, well, you can't rush it. It is what it is. And God loves the process. He's not the whole time being like, man, you're the worst. I can't wait until you look like Jesus. No, the whole process, he's like, oh, that's a little better. Like that. Saw that. You know? (laughs) Guys, this can be great for those of us who are very discouraged by our continual sin because um, we can start to really focus on our own sin, but this passage says to focus on what? Jesus. Jesus. The Scottish pastor Robert Murray McChain, one of my favorite quotes, eighteen hundreds. This is what he said: "Listen to this. This is important. This is right in your Bible. Important. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. How behind are you? (laughs) How many looks have you taken at yourself lately? You know, and you could just declare bankruptcy on that and just start fresh now. But what he's saying here is he's saying that the, the key to transformation is to look at Jesus. It's not always to look again at your sin and brood over your sin." What you really need is to see Jesus. He says, as we behold Him, we become like Him. Isn't that exciting? And guys, this is our plan as a church. Our plan as a church is to show people who Jesus is and trust the Holy Spirit to open lives and hearts. That's the plan. In case you're wondering, what's your philosophy of ministry? Well, let me find that document. (laughs) It's in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, you know? I don't want to be snooty like that. It's kind of sounded snooty. Um, I made the voice, so... This is the plan, guys. This is the only plan we have. Sunday morning, as we gather in small groups, which will start very soon, as we gather at lunch, as we are going on campus, the whole goal is show people Jesus. Show people Jesus and watch the Holy Spirit change him. And I want to just run through real quick. This is super fast. I want to show you the kind of confidence that a church has when that's their game plan. Okay? Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to Paul. He says, Therefore... Having this ministry by the mercy of God, the ministry I just described, of just proclaiming Jesus. Listen to what he says. We do not lose heart. Guys, how easy is it to lose heart? Super easy. Guys, stick with it. Don't be like, this doesn't work. I need to find something else. Don't lose heart. Guys, we have all seen people's lives transformed by simply seeing Jesus day in, day out, week in, week out. Don't give up. What else does he say? He also says... But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We don't have to manipulate anybody. You know manipulating people is wrong? Okay, good. You know what else it is? Stinking exhausting. Okay? Really exhausting. You can't make people do anything. People are going to do what people are going to do. Okay? The sooner we learn that, the better. What can we do? We can expose them to Jesus. Okay? So we've we renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. What else? He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Guys, we don't change the message. We don't need to. The message works. Okay? It works. You don't change something that works. You keep using it. Right? And then what else does he say? Instead of changing the word, what do we do? It says, but by open, I love this phrasing of this, by by open statements of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We just expose people to Jesus from the word. And then drop down to verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, and ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. I love this. This is the attitude we have to have in this community. We're servants, okay? We're not coming here to, like, win a debate. We're not coming here to conquer. You guys know that Christians are not taking back the nation, right? Like, I hope you've given up hope, okay, in that area, okay? That's not our job. Our job is to be servants, and so what we, we, we exist as a church to help everyone take their next step towards Jesus, right? That's what every ministry is about. That's what, you know, when Casey picked up the trailer this morning, that's what that was about. When, when the guys showed up to do setup, the people that greeted, did hospitality, the people that right now are missing service, they're in children's ministry, that's what they're doing. The people that are doing sound and tech back there, that's what they're doing. They're trying to help everyone take their next step towards Jesus. So we, do, we proclaim who he is. And then look at this last part. For God who let light sh- who uh, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What does that say? It says we're going to wait for God to turn the lights on. When did he turn the lights on in this passage? Creation. The original light turning on. He did that with his word. With his word. He turned light on. It didn't exist before. He made light with word. And so we're going to wait for him to turn the lights on. And we're going to see people come to him. We're going to see people transform. So let me just give you real quick. Game plan is Gospel of John. Read it. Love it. Know it. We're going to start the Gospel of John next week. We're going to be in in, uh, Chapter 1. Probably take us a year or something like that. And we're going to have prolonged exposure to Jesus. This would be a great place to bring people that need prolonged exposure to Jesus, right? These would be people like um, people that don't know him, that are spiritually blind. Scattered sheep. That would be a huge category in this valley, guys. Is scattered sheep. What are scattered sheep? Scattered sheep are people that say, I'm a Christian. You say, Where do you go to church? I don't right now. Huge category. What happens to scattered sheep? Bad things, okay? Bad things happen to scattered sheep. So we want to invite scattered sheep. We want to invite um, people that are enslaved to things, right? Prolonged exposure to Jesus will free them. You know, they tell you they've got this issue, this problem, and, and you're like, I don't know how to solve that, but I could put you in front of Jesus. You know, I could get you in front of the Gospel of John, and you could see Jesus. And what are we going to see when we're in here? Well, in chapter 1, we're going to see that Jesus is God become man. We're going to see that he's the man full of grace and truth. We're going to see also in chapter 1 that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to see that he's the Messiah. We're going to see that he's the true stairway to heaven. We're going to see in chapter 2 that he is the Lord of the wine. We're going to see in chapter 2 that he's the true temple. In chapter 3, we're going to see that he is the serpent lifted up in the wilderness to give eternal life. We're going to see in chapter 3 also that he is the son that the Father has given so the world won't perish. We're going to see that he is the great bridegroom. We're going to see that he is the one that gives the living water so that we'll never thirst again. We're going to see that he is the healer of the lame. We're going to see that he's the man who is equal with God. We're going to see that he's the bread of life, the light of the world. He is Yahweh, the great I Am. He is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the voice that can raise the dead. That's in chapter 11. He is the king who's come to reign. He is the son of man lifted to draw all men to himself. He is in chapter 13, the master who humbly washes his disciples' feet. In 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life. In 15, he is the giver of the Holy Spirit. He is the true vine. He is the great high priest. He is the one who is willingly crucified to take your place and deliver you from all your sins. In chapter 20, we'll see that he is the one that was buried for three days and raised again. And then in chapter 21, beautiful picture, that he still restores fallen disciples. That's what we're going to see. I'm excited to see this. I'm excited to see what on earth the Holy Spirit's going to do with that. He's got a lot to work with. It's awesome. We have an opportunity, guys, as a community, to expose people to the glory of Jesus, to be a kind of hot spot to radiate the glory of Jesus. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Father, we thank, you, um, we thank you, first and foremost, for your son, that you would give your own son. Even as I was saying that just now, I'm like, ah, that's crazy. Give your own son for people that don't even like you. And Lord, you have made us your children, and you've given us a desire for you, and we thank you so much for that. And I want to also thank you for your people. How crazy that we have this instinct to do it alone, when we have such wonderful people that you've redeemed, that we could do life together. We could do mission together. And we just thank you, Lord, too, for this new opportunity. What a great location. What a great opportunity here in this community. And we just pray, Lord, that we would run with joy, that we wouldn't lose heart, that we would trust your word, and that we'd wait for you to turn lights on. And, Lord, we will give you all the glory as those lights are turned on. And uh, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.